Open your Bible if you have one. If not, we'll put it on the screen for you. The book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. The book of Nehemiah. A few uh, weeks ago, we touched on Nehemiah's life a little bit, and we uh, talked about how he was called and had a vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about today, but we're going to pick up the story a little bit after that. So Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 1. When the seventh month came... And the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book. Most translations just say, bring the book. Bring the book of the law. And Moses, uh, Moses and the Lord had commanded Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month after the priests brought the book before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand, he read it aloud from daybreak until noon. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened uh, intentively to the book of the law. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that as we break open your book, as we open your words to us, that your anointing is present as we just spoke a moment ago, the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. Father, because I believe any time the book is opened, you respond with your presence and your anointing. So today, Father, anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our feet to walk out what it is that we learn. In Jesus' name, if you believe it and are ready, shout amen. amen. Bring the book. So what we're reading is, is really a moment where revival broke out in the city of Jerusalem. Last week, I talked about how to have a personal revival and, and hungering for more of God. And I'm going to stick along those themes. And I came across this, this, this story this week and, and this scripture where revival broke out in Jerusalem. And I think it is important for us to look at what sparked this Revival. And it was really these three words that started off this revival. They were real simple. It was bring the book. Can we say it together? Bring the book. So I'm going to ask you today to help me preach a little bit. You know, I'm an audience participation preacher. And anytime that I say, and the people said, you respond with, Bring the, oh, look, you got it already, but I need you to do a little bit stronger than that because we're in church and we're Pentecostals and we got this. Ready? So, and the people said, bring the book. All right. Now, if we can do that at the same time together, that would be great. All right. But these three little words sparked a revival in Jerusalem. Now, remember, they had just come out of this great accomplishment. They had rebuilt the walls with this small group of committed people. And everybody around them said, this is completely insane. It's impossible. There's no way you can build the walls of this fallen down city. And Nehemiah pushes back and says, come on, if God's on our side, who can be against us? Not only did they build the wall, they fought their opposing adversaries. As they built with one hand, they fought with the other. Come on, you never stop building your life just because an adversary is present. You keep building and you keep fighting. You don't ever back down from what God's called you to do. You keep building and you keep fighting. So 
it, they built the wall in 52 days, and it had been broken down for almost 70 years when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Israel and had captured Jerusalem. And Nehemiah brings this vision to the people, and nobody believed that they could do it. And every single day, they had adversaries and enemies plotting uh, against them. There were uh, sophisticated PR smears that were brought against Nehemiah and the people. He faced danger. He faced threats. He faced enemies. Every single day, there was a new obstacle that he had to overcome. There's a lot of risk and a lot of danger. But now they're on the other side of this accomplishment. A great win, a great victory. Can I tell you, your greatest temptation to sin often comes after your greatest victory? Yes. Because there comes a point where if you're not careful, it's easy to slide into, I've got this. I'm good. I can make this. Come on, but sometimes when you're down and it's hard, you know you need God in every step, right? So it's we always have to be careful because after our greatest victories often come our greatest opportunities to fall away or to sin. So Nehemiah is on the other side of this accomplishment. They're there. The scripture says that they begin to settle in the cities of Jerusalem. They're building up their homes. They're building up the town. It's starting to look beautiful again. They're, they're regaining their identity that they had lost when they were in captivity for 70 years. And they recognize that even though they had a great victory, they're missing something on the inside. There's a void. There, there, there's, uh, in the success, there's still a void. So the Bible says that the people gathered together at the water gate and the city square, and they echoed these words. And the people said, Bring there you go, bring the book. Now, many of those who had gathered had never even seen the sacred scroll, let alone never heard it read from. Remember, they were just returning from 70 years of captivity. So the prophet brings out the book, he opens the book, and it begins to spark a revival in the city. And it was really a revival that said, yeah, what we did mattered. Rebuilding the walls mattered. God's hand was on what we did. It was important, it was significant but it wasn't the most significant. They didn't want to miss God in their victory. They wanted his word, which is the greatest victory. Listen, they understood, and here's where we get revival, when we're not just after what God could do for us. Come on. They weren't just after what God could do for that. He had just proven what he could do for them 52 days to rebuild the walls of an entire city in an impossible situation. But they decided that more than just going after the giver and his hands, they decided they want to draw close to the gift giver himself. Let us never just be after God because of what he has done and is doing and could do for us. Let us come after God because we have a heart to desire him and to, to look for him in our lives. Amen? Yeah. This revival was really a back-to-the-word type of revival. A revival of putting God's word in the rightful place in Israel, the rightful place in the hearts 
of the people. And can I just submit to you today and say up front that I think we need this kind of revival in our churches. We need this kind of revival in our personal lives. We need this kind of revival in our families where the word of God reigns over all else and the word of God is supreme. There's nothing else beside it. It is the final answer. It is God's inspired word. We don't second guess it. We don't deny it. It's not poetry. It's not just a good story, but it's the God breathed inspired word to us. We need that type of revival. I, need, I see you need to butter it up a little bit more before we get there. That's all right. But listen, we get saved. We become a Christian. But our mind still isn't right. We've spent decades sometimes living in the world and being poisoned by the world and taught by the world and instructed by the world and instructed by our televisions, instructed by movies, and instructed by secular humanists, and instructed by the media. And, and all of that's been in our mind of how we should live and how we should operate and what's right and what's wrong and what's, what's normal and what's abnormal. And if we're not careful, we can take our cues of what's normal from the world. So we become Christians and we're confused because God says there's all these things that he wants to and can do for us, but we fail to see, ever see them manifest in our lives. And most of the time it's because we haven't placed his word because he said, I will always perform my word. So if we're not careful, we come to Christ, but we never renew our mind. Our mind is off. The way we look at ourselves is off. The way we look at life is off. The way we approach decisions, it's, it's off. The only way we can fix this is by not just giving our lives to Christ, but following up that decision with the renewing of our mind. Allowing our mind. Are, are you saying you're into like brainwashing people? I'm sure this will end up on social media somewhere. Yes. We renew our minds with the washing of the word. Listen, if I don't allow the word to renew my mind, something is. Something is teaching my brain how to think. What's normal, what's right, what's accepted. I'm not challenging anybody, but come on, if we're spending more time on Netflix than we are opening the word, and then we wonder why we keep making bad decisions and struggling to ever make good decisions in life, it's not that hard, honey. Yes. Come on. You are what you eat. My belt didn't break because I'm on a fast. It's going the opposite. Come on, somebody. It was really old. It was, it was really, really old. I've had it for a long time. But you are what you eat, what you're putting in your mind, what you're putting in your spirit will form the decisions. So now when you're faced with a life crisis or a life decision and you're saying, why can't I hear God? Well, turn to where you were getting your answers before. Go back to Facebook and ask them. Call Netflix and ask them what you should do. Ask them for a divine revelation or healing in your body. Not just when we get in crisis. 
Not just when we need out of the situation. And God's faithful. He'll get you out of the situation. Trust me. But the goal isn't to stay in the situation. You know, so many times we, you know, we promote and we parade the miracle that happened as the Israelites walked through the, uh, uh, Egypt and into their promised land and the supernatural provision, manna in the morning, manna in the evening, shoes that wouldn't wear off, clothing that, that wouldn't age. I mean, it was supernatural, a cloud by day, fire by night, the supernatural provision of God. That wasn't God's plan for them. It was supposed to be a four-day journey, and then they were in their promise. Not a 40-year sentence in the desert because they were disobedient. So my point is, God's will for us isn't to jump from miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle. And that's what he had to do with the Israelites. Miracle, you need it. Miracle, you need it. What he wanted for them was to walk into a land flowing with milk and honey and abundance where they didn't need a miracle because they already had everything that they needed to win. Come on, somebody. So if you're constantly going from crisis to miracle, from crisis to miracle, from crisis to miracle, it might be that your foundation isn't built on the right foundation, <laughs> with the right materials. Come on. So we have to renew our mind. We need a revival of the word. This is your Bible. This is God's word to you. It's his words about you. His letter to you. For your life. For your destiny. For everything that would come across your path. Your time here on the earth. He wrote a letter for you. How beautiful. Sometimes when you I've seen, I've seen on social media parents who maybe were diagnosed and, you know, they knew they didn't have long to live and they record videos for their children at certain stages of life and how precious. I just, could you imagine somebody doing that, you know, here's for your 18th birthday, for your wedding day, and then getting there and saying, eh, I got too much else today, my wedding day after all. I don't hear the words of my dead dad or mom. But wouldn't it be the opposite? Wouldn't they be the most precious thing to you? That before they left, they just imparted something to you? That's what we have when we have the Bible. The Bible is often referred to as a mirror. It's a reflection of everything we need to know about us. It's a reflection of humanity and our failures. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. The same things that tempted Adam and Eve are the same things that we struggle with today. Come on, somebody. Listen to what Judges chapter 7 verse 20 says. It says, and the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars and they... Uh, held their hands left, uh, hands with the torches, and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword of the Lord and for Gideon. I want you to pay attention. And Gideon. And Gideon. It wasn't just the sword of the Lord that was coming against them. It was also the sword of who? Gideon. A lot of people say, well, yeah, that's God's word. It's his word. It's his word. But you're missing it. It wasn't just his word. It was Gideon's word as well. The Bible says that his word is sharper than a two-edged sword. 
I believe the significance in that is the first side of that sword is when it comes out of the mouth of God. And the second side of that sword is when it comes out of your mouth. When it comes out of your mouth. It's the sword of Jimmy. It's, it, it, it's the sword of Paul. It's the sword of Travis. It, it's not just the sword of the Lord. It is a gift given by God. It is a guidebook. It is a tool. It is a weaponry. It is life. It is sustainment. It is hope. It's your future. It's your destiny. It's your healing. Anything that you need is found within the pages of that book. Come on, somebody. I read this online this week. I thought this was powerful. I want to read it to you. And it says, this book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are final. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff. It is the pilot's compass. It's the soldier's sword and the Christian's character. In it, paradise is restored, heaven is open, and the gates of hell are destroyed. Christ is the grand object of it. Our good is its design, and the glory of it is of, for God is its end. So read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It has been given to you in life and will be opened in the judgment and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility. It will reward the greatest labor and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. And the people said, oh, you missed it. You missed it. Come on, people. And the people said, Scottish pastor wrote this. He said, the Bible is the armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines. It's a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every wound, a bomb for every sickness. Rob us of our Bible, and our sky has lost its sun. I'm just giving you some insights of the hope that some people have found within the pages of that book. Augustine said the scriptures are our letters from home. Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me, it has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, and it lays hold of me. I love that. It runs after me, it speaks to me, and it has hands and lays hold of me. Because maybe you've been like I've been, sometimes you're running 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction, and suddenly a word, a verse, a scripture from somewhere long ago in my past quickens my heart and grabs it and subdues what I was about to step into that I had no business stepping into. Come on, somebody, because the word will chase after you. The word will grab you. The word will hold you. The word will, will pull you where you need to be. Come on. George Mueller said, the vigor of our spiritual life will be an exact proportion of the place held by the Bible. Charles Spurgeon said, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book only widens and deepens with our years. 
And the people said, So Nehemiah comes to the stage and he takes the book and the first thing that he does is he opens the book. He opens the book. The first thing that we have to understand about birthing revival in our life is you have to first open the book. The moment he opened the book, the atmosphere shifted. That scripture says that with one accord, as one man, the people stood as the prophets read from the book. You see, when the book is opened, it pulls us together. It unifies us. It makes us one. The Bible says where the church is one, there's a commanded blessing over it. It's a unifying power. I love the fact that the moment that he opened the book, the people in unison, they stood. There are some traditions and some church cultures, and sometimes I just thought it was a part of their culture where they would read. Anytime they read a scripture, the congregation would stand and, and, and in reverence. I just thought it was a, a cultural thing, but really it, it, it's from scripture that when they opened the book to read it, the people stood in unison to give honor and respect to the, the voice of God being delivered to them. I love that no one had to tell them to stand. No one required them to stand. No one requested it. There was just this place of honor in their hearts. They were so hungry after 70 years of being in captivity to hear the words of their God spoken to them and read to them. There was such a desire for it, such a passion for it. They would begin to praise God when the book was opened. They begin to declare his greatness. They begin to lift their hands, bow their heads, and worship God. Something similar happened in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. And it says this, while Peter was still saying these things, he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. I believe a church service is not complete without these three things happening. The preacher preaching, the people hearing, and the Holy Spirit falling. The preacher preaching, the people hearing, and the Holy Spirit falling. The Bible declares to us that God breathed these scriptures to us. He breathed and inspired those who wrote this book. The Holy Spirit breathed on them as they wrote. So, and I want you to understand this because it's not the words that they wrote that matter. It's who breathed on them and inspired them to write them. We can look at Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. We can look at Peter we can look at Paul. We can look at them and, and, and we can say, yes, this was their writing. But it was the Holy Spirit breathing on what they wrote. The Holy Spirit is the author of the book. So I want you to hear this. The words they wrote don't matter if the Holy Spirit doesn't breathe on them as they write them. 
So I want you to understand that because when I open the book and I read, I'm not just reading words. I'm reading what the Holy Spirit inspired to be written. Society will say, well, it's a book of poetry. There's some in there. Breathed and inspired by the Spirit of God. It's a book of history. Yeah, a lot of that. The most factual history book ever known to mankind. Breathed and inspired by the one who was there at the very beginning and the one who saw the ending because he's not just at the beginning, but he can breathe and inspire books like the book of Revelation, which stands in our now and prophesies a future that we don't understand. But because he is the all-knowing, he's the alpha and the omega, he's already been there and can speak back to our now of what's coming up the road. Come on, somebody. You don't need a psychic. You don't need a fortune teller. You don't need you know, any of those things. What you need is you need to get in the book and read the book. And what the Spirit of God who spoke on nothing and created the very world that you're standing on, that one prophesied what our future would hold. So if I want to know what tomorrow will bring, it won't be by a naysayer and it won't be by a demonic force. It will be by the Spirit of God who birthed life and light itself speaking about my future. Come on. So if we just open the book and read it to read words, we're missing the point. We're reading words that were inspired by the Spirit of God for me. That's why the Bible actually says the letters kill, but the Spirit brings life. That's why we can scroll through social media. You can attend some churches where they're giving you a lot of scripture, but they are whacked out somebody. Come on. Spewing all kind of hate and demonic things because if you just read it as words and bypass the spirit, you're going to try to work it by the flesh and not by the spirit. The spirit of God breathed on them and I need him to breathe on me as I read the book. So that's why when a preacher preaches, it's not really important as much as what I say or who I am or my skill set or none of that's really important. The most important thing is that as the preacher preaches the word is that we listen and that we lean in and we come with anticipation and we're ready and we understand that what's being said to us aren't just words. They are words that bring life, hope, and hope to our world. Come on. It's not complicated. You get out of something what you put into something. Me and my wife have the same fight over and over and over and over again. We'll be watching a movie, watching a show or something, and, you know, she'll be on her phone. She's not here today because she's obviously at home with the kids, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> and uh, she'll be looking at her phone, and then something dramatic will happen. And she's like, oh, wait, what just happened? <laughs> Any other men in the house? Excuse me? Well, you can go back on your own time and rewatch it because you're not ruining the moment for me. I'm not missing it so I can go back. Because, but the point of it is, you get out of it what you put into it. If you're watching it in full intensity, come on, if you shut off the lights, you know, 
there's this big debate in the, sometimes in the church, should the lights be on or should they be off? And the reality of it is it doesn't really matter if they're on or they're off. God's still present. But the reason that we do it is because sometimes when you're in a movie and you're watching it and when you dim the lights, doesn't it just shut everything else off and you can just engage? So we believe, like, let's just turn it off so that it's a you and God moment and you're not looking, hey, that thing moved. And what are they doing over there? And how comes that person? Like, it's just you and God in this moment. And if you watch the movie intently, you get the meaning, you get the point, you walk away with the, with the purpose that the, the, the author of the movie intended for you to walk away with. But if you're watching the movie, scrolling on your phone, the lights are on, this is happening, kids running around. Come on, you watch the movie, but you're like, I don't I, Maybe it was good. I didn't quite get it. But it's not the fault of the movie. It's what you came to the table with. If you walk out of here today, no, no different than you came in. Yeah, you went long again today. I'm prophesying. No. Yeah, I just didn't feel it. Didn't give me nothing. Then you came to the table wrong. Then you came to the table wrong. And in the American culture, we've invited you to the table and we've said, we'll give you every dessert, every good tasting thing that you want, have it to abundance. But when you really approach the word for the word, sometimes he's going to say what you, I say to my kids, sit down, put the broccoli in the mouth, or else. Because sometimes sitting at the table isn't about the dessert. It's about the nourishment that you need for the sustainment for what's coming. I don't have them eat the, the vegetables because I'm just mean. I have them eat it because their body needs it so they can survive tomorrow. Sometimes we need God to show up at the table and say, you're messed up, you're whacked out, you're out of control, there's sin in your life, get it together, because when tomorrow comes, you need right living, holy living, God-breathed Holy Spirit power present in your life to survive what's coming. No wonder we see a generation walking away from the church, because the church hasn't set the table for them to eat what is needed for sustainment. We set the table for them to come and desire and come and desire but the thing is too many sweets will make you sick too many sweets will make you fat too many sweets will make you unhealthy and your belt break in the morning come on somebody so sometimes somebody has to get up in your face and say sit down put the vegetable in your mouth you don't like it but this is what will bring sustainment for your future So we need a revival of the word. For unapologetically, I understand it will offend you. I understand that when I open the book and I start talking about God's purpose for your money, I ain't talking about that today, don't worry. <laughs> Nobody shouts me down. Because I get it. Because sometimes I open the book and I read about God's purpose for my money. And I'm like, Ugh. well, that's not what it means. If you're not careful, you can be like the Bible says, but in the end, there'll be those who were just moved by every sway of doctrine. You can find somebody to say anything about your belief and line up with what you want them to hear. But the reality is they're not the author of the book. 
And they can't and aren't authorized to change the meaning of the book. Actually, the very end of the book, Revelation, says anyone who adds to this book, changes this book, is cursed. It's supposed to offend you. It's supposed to call you out. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. And if you're going to a right church, you're going to leave offended sometimes. And say, I don't like it when he talks about that. And being holy and being in right relations. I don't like when the word is presented and tells me that, you know, that's wrong and I shouldn't be doing this. And because that's the book. And if you don't want to hear the book, listen to my heart on this, please. Then don't join a church who's supposed to be gathered around the book. Join a social club. Go to the VFW. Whatever, I don't even know the why. I don't know what they do. I guess one's for veterans. I'm, I just, I've been up a long time, okay? Just let me go. Just say what I got to say and get out of here. But the church is supposed to gather around this book, hear its words, apply it to our lives, and let it transform the way we live. And when the world looks at us and says, you're crazy. If you're really in this book, you look at the world and say, you're crazy. I'm just giving you, I tell our people, when I, when I talk about money, and I don't, you know, I'm not one of those preachers, okay? But I tell you what the book says. The tithe belongs to the Lord. The tenth belongs to the Lord. But I always tell people, if you don't want to tithe, then don't tithe. A, the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So if you're giving it begrudgingly or because you feel obligated, then he's not blessing that anyways. You're just ruining your point. So just don't tithe. Right? Like, I'm not here to try to guilt you into doing what the book says. It's there for your choosing. But when you only eat the sweets, God's for him and he loves me and he has victory planned for my tomorrow. And don't want to apply any of the fruits and vegetables. When tomorrow shows up and the blessing of the Lord isn't on your money. Then don't look back at the person who made dinner and say, well, you didn't, you didn't tell me I needed provision. Well, yeah, I did. You just chose not to eat it. You chose not to participate in it. You chose not to participate in the laws of sowing and reaping. You don't have to do it. Hey, you chose to live that lifestyle because the world said it's fine. You chose to gossip and you chose to slander and you chose to to cheat on your spouse and you chose to do all these things. And when the calamity of all of that comes together, well, how comes God wasn't for me? How comes God didn't help me? Because you pushed the plate away and said, no, thank you. And then we turn and we blame God. We have to bring the book to our family. We have to bring the book to our trial. We have to bring the book to our trouble. We bring the book to our sin. We bring the book to our temptation. We bring the book to our doubts. We bring the book to our unbelief. We bring the book to our problems. You getting what I'm laying down? Bring the book. 
bring the book. And the people say, There's no magical way to get you to open the book other than opening the book. You know, I'm not a reader by nature. I force myself to read. Some of you can relate. And for a while I got by by saying, you know, well, I'm going to put the Bible on my phone. It's going to read it to me. And that's good. Those are good things. But again, I'm usually doing that while I'm driving, while I'm doing something else. And I'm, I'm hearing, okay, it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying don't do that. But if I have an exam tomorrow, there's some information I have to know to pass the exam. You for sure better know that I'm not going to be multitasking and trying to intake information. I'm going to be sit down somewhere in the quiet with a notepad because even science will tell you you retain more when you take notes. You retain more. You should be coming up in here with your pad and your pencil and your pen or your iPad taking notes. Why? Because when I, when, sometimes even people ask me, what did you preach last week? And I have to stop and think about it for a minute. And I wrote the thing. <laughs> so I know if that's where I am, I know half of us are leaving the room. And by the end of the day, what did he preach on today? But when you're taking notes and you're writing, you're retaining more in your mind. I say that because it's so important because when Peter and John were going to pray, there was a man who was uh, lame sitting at the gate, the entrance of the temple. And they asked Peter and John, they said, hey, do you have money? He asked, do you have money? And they said, no, but such as I have, give I thee. And they said, now get up and walk. And the man jumped up, leaping as a miracle. But the key word is such as I have. Not that I can go get and try to find out. Could you imagine going into the emergency room? Blood like <laughs> coming out. And the doctor's like, hold on. I know where to find out what to do. I can, I can find out. I don't want you to find out. You need to know. Like when upon my arrival, you better know. Why? Because life and death hangs in the balance. Let me preach over here. Because life and death hangs in the balance of every decision, of every choice. So you better not know where to find out. You better know. And the only way you're going to know, and the people said, is by getting in the book. And not just coming to church because you forget what I said, but getting it in your heart and in your mind and not just listening to podcasts and preachers. We have a new podcast, by the way. Go download it, Hope City Life, uh, Hope City Church and all your podcast platforms, a little plug there. But anyway, you know, all that's great. But until you read the word, I will never forget where I was. I was working at Fulton Bank in Lancaster City. I had grown up in the church. I had been in church all of my life. But during my lunch break, it was very boring there. I worked security. Can you believe it? I didn't last long. But anyway, during my lunch break, I'll never forget reading a verse of scripture and seeing something that had never been preached to me, taught to me, didn't hear my mama say it, didn't hear the pastor say it, but it was revelation to me. 
And I remember that day as long as I live, walking out of there, going to my car in the parking garage, walking a thousand miles high because I got revelation from God. And you know what happens when you get revelation that sets you free? You get hungry for more. Then you realize, my God, that changed my life. It changed my world. It changed how I see. I got to get more. I got to get in this book. I got to figure out what it's saying. If I don't understand, I got to read it. I got to pray that the Holy Spirit who's present in me that breathed a book would enlighten that scripture to me and expand my understanding. Come on, somebody. Worship team, you can come. The psalmist, David, here's what he had to say about the word. He says, I've hid your word in my heart, and it helped me not sin against you. What helps you not sin? The word. word. In another verse, he says, I will not neglect your word. I will obey your word. Show me the wonderful, uh, wondrous things in your word. He went on to say in another verse, my soul is consumed with longing for your word at all times. The psalmist would go on and say, your word preserves my life. It strengthens me according to your word. The psalmist would write, I set my heart on your word. I hold fast to your word. I put my hope in your word. Your word is eternal. These are all the writings of David. I see somebody who's obsessed with the word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. How sweet is your word. It's sweeter than honeycomb. My heart trembles at your word. A hunger and a passion for God. I've been through seasons of life where I felt like my passion for God has waned. Church became about duty and obligation, serving because I have to, and being there because I have to, and pastoring because I have to, and preaching to y'all because I have to. You, you get it. Thanks, Brandy. And in those seasons, I always know 100% what the problem is. It's not that God isn't giving me anything new or fresh. It's not that he's holding out. It's not that he's mad at me. It's I've removed the priority of his word in my life. And I can always look back and say, yeah, in that season... I begin relying off of what I already heard, what I already knew, and not leaning into his word for fresh revelation. I taught you last week that the reason that so many fall away from the church and fall away from God is because they stopped growing in their relationship. I taught you last week, how do you stop growing in a relationship? You stop talking. Stop communicating. You stop hearing their voice. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Stand to our feet. I'm going to say this. closing every decision matters for many life and death hang in the balance of decisions sometimes physical sometimes it's been the Holy Spirit who said go this way today I don't know why but I just am obedient 
maybe there's an accident. I don't know. Or maybe you just want me to go. I don't know, you know. Sometimes a, a decision can mean physical life and death, but sometimes it can also mean spiritual life and death. And every decision we make has consequences. There's a preacher I love, don't judge me, but popular back in the 80s who had led one of the world's largest ministries at the time by the name of Jim Baker. And scandal hit his life, his ministry collapsed and closed and he ended up going to prison, scheduled for 45 years and later they said it was a miscarriage of justice and lowered it to, to five before they released him. And he did an interview with, with somebody and I only heard it this week and it so blessed my heart. And he did this interview years ago but they had asked him, when did you fall out of love? with Jesus. In, in his scandal, there was some money issues. There was an affair that happened. And so their assumption was, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? And he said, I never fell out of love with Jesus. I love Jesus through all of it. He said, I fell out of the fear of God. The fear of God. And that quickened my heart. Because in my life, when I've gone astray, when I've made wrong decisions, when I've done wrong things, it's not that I stopped loving Jesus. It's that I stopped fearing God. That my decision will have consequences. And when I step out of the will of God, it's not that God says, well, I'm going to rain down judgment because we know God doesn't do that because the full wrath of God was poured out on the cross, right? But when we step out in sin and things that aren't of God, what we do is we step out of the covering of God. It's like being in the middle of a hurricane and deciding to leave the shelter that you're in. And then when we get blown away and when we get wounded and we get bruised and when we get hurt, it's not that God did those things. It's that somewhere along the way we've stepped out of the covering of His protection. So that's why I'm saying this today. It's so important because you can love Jesus and have your whole life collapse. You can love Jesus and make every wrong decision. You can love Jesus and experience the worst pain you could imagine here on this earth. And the solution isn't church, isn't a preacher. It's getting in the book and knowing your God and fearing your God in the most holy right way. Come on, it's like a kid who fears its parent. It's not because the parent's bad. It's that the parent is in full control. Do you, you understand that? They're so much bigger than me. I want to pray for us today that in this house and in this church, we would have a revival of the word. We would be a people who, when we come together to open this book, it's not about who stands behind the pulpit. It's about we're encountering God-breathed inspiration for us. And that this wouldn't be the only feeling that you get. And if you've never sat down and opened your Bible, and studies and statistics have told us that a majority of the church does not open their Bible on a regular basis. And I'm not bringing that to bring judgment. I'm bringing it to bring victory into your life. Schedule some time. Sit down. Make it a priority. Do it. Do it. 
do it. And if you're reading and you don't understand, keep reading and just say, Holy Spirit, quicken. Write down, highlight, do whatever you got to do. Even if you're in the genealogies, just get through it. Just read it. It promises to bring inspiration and hope. The more you know somebody, the more you understand them. The more you read it, the more you understand it. So, Father, I pray for every person in this house, every person listening, watching online that is connected to this ministry, Lord, we want to be a different breed. That's our prayer. We want to be a different breed. Not those who are moved by every wind of doctrine, not those who are wishy-washy and and what you're saying and what you're doing and, and those who have no foundation. But, Lord, we want to be those who are students of your word that we placed your word in the highest priority the highest pinnacle of our life that we would not just train our children up and, and say we've raised them as Christians because we brought them to church and put them in kids class for an hour and a half on a weekend and expect that to make the difference but that we've raised them to be Christians because we've sat with them and we've read the word with them and we've taught them about who God is and we let them see us pray and we let them see us repent and we let them see us ask for forgiveness let us be people of your word Allow your word to bring life and hope to us. Before we're dismissed today, I just want to give this opportunity. If there's anybody here or online that you're saying, man, this God thing that you're talking about is a whole different level than anything I perceived. You act like he's so real to you. And I say that because he is. Maybe you've never known God in that way and he's a character in a book that you're trying to figure out. You don't have to figure it out alone. He says, if you call on me, I'll come. I'll give you the opportunity today if you've never done it or you have a long time ago and you've fallen away from the Lord, but to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life today. And that means you become a Christian, a new creation. It means you dedicate to live your life by the words of this book. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody moving around. I'm going to count to three, and when I do, if that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up. Even if you're at home, I just want you to slip your hand up. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I just want to acknowledge that you're making this decision. If that's you, slip your hand up. Ready? One, two, three. I see you. I want us to pray together. Everyone pray this prayer, but if you're praying this for the first time today, I want you to pray it with all of your hearts. Say, Heavenly Father, I stand before you right now. And I confess with my mouth that I am a sinner and I need a savior. I recognize that you sent your son to pay the price that I could have eternal life. And I accept that gift that he paid for on the cross. Save me, deliver me, free me. I'm your child. And you're my God. I'm saved. In the name of Jesus, let the church say amen. Come on, if you prayed that for the first time today, we want to celebrate with you. If you're in the room, you can scan the code on the back of your chair. Stop by Connections. If you're watching online, click the Note God tab. And we can get you some resources to help you on your journey. Because it's not just enough to be saved. 
you have to be transformed in Jesus' name. Thanks. Come on, Tammy. Thanks.